Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's May 11th, 1981. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. So, on this day, my mum went into labour and the world enjoyed its last day of the 20th century before I existed. But also, (laughs) Cats opened in the West End. Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats. I don't know what was bigger or more meaningful of those two events. (laughs) I think uh, Cats was certainly creepier. But you have run longer. So, <laughs> yeah, but not by that much. No, no true. not by that much. I know you're about to tell us, Rebecca, that it was, I think it's been overtaken by Les Miserables now, hasn't it? But it was the longest running musical in the West End ever. Yep, that's correct. It ran for exactly 21 years, which included 8,949 performances. And on Broadway, only a few years less, it was 18 years. Despite that, it has no script. Okay, when <laughs> Cats started rehearsals, all they had was the songs. They had no script. The longest-running musical ever was devised with no script at all. Just let that settle into your head for a little while. So you mean they opened with no script and it, to this very day has no script? Well, it's passed I, down from cat to cat. I, <laughs> I imagine now if you apply for the rights to do like an amateur school production of Cats, there is some kind of document which is the script which says, you know, Griselda moves across the stage looking sad. But the reason there was no script... It's because the whole thing was Andrew Lloyd Webber dicking about with T.S. Eliot's Book of Practical Mm -hmm. Cats, which was Mm -hmm. a book for children. He wrote some songs based on the poetry and then applied to Valerie Eliot, T.S. Eliot's widow, for the rights to make a musical out of the poems. And the deal that they struck was, fine, but not a single word in the show, not a single word in the show is allowed to be one that was not in T.S. Eliot's Book of Practical Cats. Which, when you consider like how you'd usually adapt a book for a musical... Is completely bonkers. <laughs> the whole genesis of the show is nuts. Andrew Lloyd Webber originally was just playing it for fun, ostensibly, to his friends at his country house in Newbury, I mean, near Berkshire. That doesn't sound fun, and being Andrew Lloyd Webber's friend at this period of time <laughs> sounds incredibly difficult. Have you noticed that a lot of his early musicals started out as other things? Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat was apparently a pop cantata, but I'm not musical and I don't know what that means, but basically it was a 15-minute school show. Yeah. Jesus Christ Superstar, Anavita, were both concept albums. It was almost like he just kept doing things and they kept spiralling into musicals. You're right. He probably had his hard-headed showman hat on when he was showing this thing to friends in his house. Yeah, and also this is a house that has a church in the back garden where he effectively has an annual musical festival. True, so, which, I think, you know, he has a business yeah, it's head not on. a tiny thing, yes. yeah. And, and so so valuable was this house that it was the thing that he actually had to get a second mortgage for to finance the show himself, which he did, um, because every time I presume he went to new producers um, to say, uh, would you please run this thing with no script and this bat 
concept. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, no. So he had to finance it himself, but you know, paid did, off. Did you guys see the episode of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt where Titus got cast in Cats and when he gets cast, he finds out like the big secret is there is no cats. They just improvise something themselves every night. They're just doing <laughs> random stuff. <laughs> You've got to admire, I think, the risk of that. Like, whatever you think of Cats, and I actually personally have always found it really boring. I mean, I remember going as a child and admiring the incredible spectacle of it. As I said, I was born the day after Cats opened, so I'm very much of that generation. It was aimed at me, you know, when I was six years old. I sat on Brian Blessed's knee in the interval and all that. Uh, what you make you make that sound like that, that was that, part of wait, the that general experience. That needs explaining. <laughs> no, Did you go was... around the whole audience and sit every child on his knee? Like some kooky Santa attraction. <laughs> yes. Brian Blessed was playing Old Deuteronomy. And in the interval, he sat on his perch in the rubbish dump and kids would go up to him and sit on his knee and talk to him. Yeah. Very of the time. <laughs> Despite that, I always found it boring. But looking at it now, the fact that it cost £2 million on a completely insane concept, I actually think is... like. I'm pleased it succeeded because it was either going to be a massive flop like the film was or an enormous hit like the, sh- like the stage show was. It's going to be one or the other. It was, uh, it was going to die in flames or it was going to be the biggest hit ever. And you've got to admire that kind of gamble in a way. And your assessment totally lines up with the reviewers of the time. I looked back to find the 1981 and then 82 reviews uh, when it opened in Broadway. Um, and, and pretty much they're saying what you're saying. It was stuff like the New York magazine said, there's something for everyone here, even dog lovers. In Cats, a kind of whiskered Disneyland full of sound and furry. That's just terrible, isn't it? It's, well, they didn't know they'd been quoted on a podcast 40 years hence. <laughs> it's, it's weird, though, isn't it? Looking back now from a perspective where like, Cats is kind of synonymous with 1980s excess and, you know, coach trips to the West End, is how it was very critically acclaimed at the time. I mean, mm. Peter Heppel, writing for the stage, said that the British musical has taken a giant leap forward with mm. Cats. And it was definitely seen as something that hadn't been done before, innovative, creative, etc. And it is weird to look at it from that perspective now, because it, it was all of those things. And critics actually thought that it might be a flop because the public just wouldn't get it. But the public are very annoying and they completely flocked to it. Part of the reason why there was this sort of sense that it was the resuscitation of the British stage, though, was that apparently prior to that, the stuff that was trying to travel across the Atlantic from the West End to Broadway was stuff that just kept bombing. Or wasn't <clears throat> dance. I mean, that's the thing that it's a dance show that originated in Britain. I mean, it's part of the reason I didn't like it, because I'm not a very visual person <laughs> and I, <laughs> dance bores me. But... Um, <laughs> In America, that's what they did. Like, the big Broadway shows that came over to the West End were A Chorus Line and Showboat and all that sort of stuff. Right. And, like, British dance just wasn't... Like, it was a laughable concept, basically. Yeah. Playbill described it as this vivid and marvellous gesture of transatlantic defiance. And they even spoke about the fact that they'd managed to unearth 30 great singer, dancer, actors in the UK. You know, it sort of... It felt like maybe there was this dearth of talent over this side of the the pond. But also the way that the costumes are designed. So, like, again, we're all talking... I mean, we're talking, obviously, post-Cats the film, which is difficult because it's (laughs) such a car crash. (laughs) But I think you have to remember that the reason that all of those stars are in that truly bizarre film is because they, like me, saw Cats as a child and on Mm. some level were inspired by the spectacle of it. That's why they wanted to be in it, because it was a truly landmark production in its time. And I think one of the things that was special about it was when you think about how singing Cats and dancing Cats might look, the reason it's so weird on film is it's an intensely theatrical interpretation that Mm. happened in the theatre. 
You know, mm. they didn't look like cats. They looked like a sexy dance troupe with a vaguely kind of feline twist. And in fact, when Andrew Lloyd Webber first had his conversation with Valerie Elliott um, and said, can I have the rights? She said, well, Tom, T.S. Elliott, had already turned down Disney. And the mm. reason for that was he didn't want the cats to be Disneyfied. He wanted them to be mysterious and not cutesy. And the reference that Lloyd Webber used was, well, I always imagined them a bit like hot gossip. And that's because Sarah Brightman had been in Hot Gossip and that was what they went into it. They were all supposed to be a bit sexy. And then when John Napier designed the costumes, he was sitting in the rehearsal watching the dancers and they were wearing leg warmers and they were wearing arm warmers. And he was like, well, that looks a bit feline. We just need to accessorise that. And that is some lazy-ass costume designing right there. (laughs) (laughs) On stage, it was very clearly, hey, something for the dads. Like, it was fine. It's just on film, it was weird. Because they've got buttholes as well, which you are very aware you're not seeing when they're CGI'd out. <laughs> I mean, I kind of assume that all animate things have buttholes. If only T.S. Eliot had written a poem, you know, called Barney the Butthole Cat, then there would have been an explanation of that in the show. But since the words didn't exist, it wasn't possible. I actually, so the, the most extraordinary thing about cats, you ask anyone who's never even seen cats to name a song from cats, and they'll all say, what will they say? Memory. Right. Oh, are you going to do it, Rebecca? You can't afford it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many seconds can I do? I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, That's known as the 11 o'clock number, which is like Mm -hmm. a Broadway term for the big song that the diva comes on and sings, belts out, usually penultimately in the show, i.e. around about 11pm in the show's running time, uh, (laughs) and essentially carries the audience home to the emotional climax. Now, that song arrived after rehearsals had started, all Andrew Lloyd Webber had of it was the melody because he doesn't write lyrics and T.S. Eliot hadn't written any words that fitted that because it was all bullshit about Bumpkin the Bumblewood Cat. And, um, <laughs> and <laughs> that it didn't also fit. got cut out. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and then, like, it's an incredible coincidence, really. I, I mean, I guess she was digging around. But Valerie Elliott found a piece of typeface that T.S. Eliot had written on which he'd, he'd... It was called Grisabella the Glamour Cat and he'd written in the footnotes too sad for children so it hadn't made the cut and she said well i don't mind you using this and all of the words that are in memory are in that do we not think that valerie elliott might secretly be a really good lyricist (laughs) (laughs) she just happened to unearth this perfect number she was the real talent in that relationship (laughs) (laughs) in andrew lloyd webber's memoir unmasked he mentions that the cat's phenomenon grew so large in the 1980s that the cat's t-shirt if you remember the one with the cat's eyes became the second best-selling t-shirt in the world in the 1980s do you know what the number one one was (gasps) oh smiley face i'm gonna go frankie says relax those are both great period appropriate guesses but the answer (laughs) is the hard rock cafe t-shirt wow but i suppose looking back on it now it's a bit odd that they didn't do cats branded cat food yeah i don't know that they did any sort of actual cat paraphernalia merchandise whatsoever or at least i never saw it i only ever saw the t-shirt and come to Uh, think of it in the covid world why wasn't there a phantom of the opera face mask less effective (laughs) as a face mask if it's only covering the left half of your mouth (laughs) (laughs) tomorrow it feels like when you actually jump into bed with a fellow monarch maybe there's something else going on ditch the ads and get a sunday episode when you join club retrospectors Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.